Good morning. How you doing? How many of you were in town for Thanksgiving? How many of you were out of town for Thanksgiving? How many of you ate too much? I had three pieces of pie Thursday. I really did. That's a true story. Uh, it was great. I went into a diabetic coma after that. But anyway, no, just kidding. It was a great, great day. Um, you've been seat- seated for just a while. Don't say anything. Just stand up. Just stretch. Okay, be seated. <laughs> I was um, out fishing yesterday, and I was about 14 miles out, and I saw these three birds. And I thought, wow, they have flown out here this far, and they can fly a long ways, but they really can't fly above the clouds. They can fly a long ways out there. I was out 14 miles but they couldn't fly, you know, like above the clouds. I have a point I'm trying to make. You've been on an airplane, and it's been a rainy day, dreary day, cloudy day, and you get in the airplane during the day, and you fly through the clouds, and all of a sudden it's what? It's clear. It's beautiful. It's a whole different perspective. Last Sunday, we talked about dreams and the process of dreams. This Sunday, I want to talk about perspective. Say perspective. Because everybody has one. And there's four major topics this morning that our author mentions, and we all have to wrestle with these four topics. But we have a perspective that comes with these four topics. So one of the topics he mentions this morning is wisdom. We all need wisdom. Then he talks about pleasures. We all are going to have pleasures in the margins of God or outside the margins of God, but we all deal with pleasures. So we deal with wisdom. We deal with pleasures. We all have to work. And then the fourth one is wealth. And so all four of these uh, deals with perspective. They're not right. They're not wrong. But he wants to talk to you about your perspective. So again, the birds can fly a long ways out, but they can't fly that high. The airplane, once it breaks through, gives you a different perspective. So how you deal with life is your perspective. Say perspective. Say perspective because we're going to talk about a perspective today. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, which probably all of you read this in your morning devotions before you came to church today, but um, Ecclesiastes is one of those tougher books, but it's a great book. And if we understand that perspective is worth fighting for, it will change how we look at things. So the first topic he mentions is about wisdom. Here's what he says. I, the teacher, this is King Solomon, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom. So here's the first topic, say wisdom. Wisdom. All that is done under the heavens, what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. Now that's the perspective. And most people around you will live with this perspective, under the sun. It's like the birds. They can't get above the clouds. It's like the airplane that flies too low. Once the airplane gets above, it's a whole different... It was raining. It was sleeting. It was snowing. You had to be in Michigan or someplace. And now you get above the clouds, you have an entirely different what? A completely different perspective. Now, I guarantee you that all of us are surrounded by people who have an under-the-sun perspective. Your family at Thanksgiving may have had an under-the-sun perspective. Um, your relatives you get together with at Christmas time may have an under the sun perspective. The, your coworkers may think and look and see under the sun. There's something so much better. There's a perspective so much higher. 
that will change how you look at wisdom, how you deal with pleasures, how you go about work, and even how you handle your wealth. I've seen all these things that are done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless, kind of chasing after the wind. Now, we're going to we go from wisdom to pleasures. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, and nothing was gained under the sun. Now say that with me. Under the sun. Say it again. Under the sun. Everybody in this room and everybody in your neighborhood and everybody in your workforce and everybody in your school either has an under the sun or an above the sun perspective. You have one of those two. And here's the second topic. The first was wisdom. And the second one now is is talking about, about with pleasure. The third one is about work. And if you hate your job and if you hate work, let me rephrase that. If you hate work, you have an under-the-sun perspective. People who love to go to work and people who love work have an above-the-sun perspective. So again, it just helps to categorize where you're at. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. How do you view work? How do you value work? Again, everybody in this room has to deal with these four topics. We need wisdom, We're going to have pleasures. They're either in the margins of God or they're outside the margins of God. We are going to work. And the last topic in just a minute is going to be about wealth. We have to have wealth to deal with life. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. And all of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for where? Under the sun. Could this be why Jesus said, do not work for food that spoils? but work for food that lasts to eternal life. He's not talking about your job. He's talking about how you see it. He's talking about your perspective. So I hate all the things I told for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person, that son, that daughter, that coworker, that partner will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill. Where? Under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. And so my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor, again, where? Under the sun. And so he begins to now tell us uh, about this perspective. And it should make you think, do you like your work? Do you like work? Why are you working? Are you gaining wisdom? Are you decreasing in foolishness? How do you perceive the pleasures that God has put before us? And it begins to open up some windows. For a person may labor, he's still on work, with wisdom, that was the earlier topic, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This is meaningless, and this is a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor? Where? Under the sun. Some of you are all knotted up. Some of you are so anxious about your work, and you're so worried about tomorrow, and you're so worried about tonight, and he's telling us, if that's you and if that's me, then we truly have an under-the-sun perspective when it comes to resources. What do people get for all this toil? 
Well, not, not a whole lot. A person can do nothing better. Now, here's where the music changes. Here's where the window opens. Here's where the, pers- the airplane is about to go through the clouds. Here's where the birds would like to be able to soar higher above the clouds. Here's your answer. Here's an above-the-sun perspective. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, though, I see is from the hand of God. And the only way that toil makes any sense is when you have this above-the-sun perspective. You can work yourself to death. And with an under-the-sun perspective, you're not really going to gain much. I can see a person can do nothing better than to enjoy all this. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? And what the author is going to tell us is, when you find him, you have found a different vision. When you see him, you have a different perspective. You have a vision that's not under the sun, but you have a vision that is above the sun. We're just opening some windows. We'll get to the, the door here in just a minute. To the person who pleases God. Now, this is what you want. Right off the bat, this first part of this verse should catch all of our attention. To the person who pleases God, well, if I please God, God's going to give me an above-the-sun perspective. He's going to give me wisdom. He's going to give me knowledge. He's going to give me happiness. Now, if, you, if, if we just stopped, stopped and just stalled on that one verse the rest of today, that would be pretty good. And the question would be then is, how do I please God? And there's one word today that we're coming to. There's one virtue today. There's one practice always, forever, catches the heart and mind of God. Now, I'm not going to give it to you yet. We're going to get there eventually. To the person who pleases God, God's going to give you an above-the-sun perspective on wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, who really has an under-the-sun perspective, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the very one who pleases God. In other words, if you please God, God's probably going to take somebody's sinful toil and even bless you with it. Now, that's kind of cool, isn't it? Because if you please Him, He will open doors for you, is what this verse says. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind for the sinner who stores it up and just hands it over to somebody else. Now, again, we've opened a window... Now we're going to open up like the garage door and maybe come into the house. He's made everything beautiful in its time. That's an above-the-sun perspective. When you begin to see that he has made everything beautiful, you begin to see life in a different vision. He has also set eternity in the, in the human heart. Now, I love this because everybody that you've ever invited to church, everybody you've ever shared your faith with, anybody that you've ever said, you know what, I want to help you with your perspective of God, anybody at all in your life, God's already placed eternity in their hearts. So when you're inviting somebody to church or you're asking somebody about their faith, there's already an eternity at work inside of him or inside of her. That's why evangelism is really pretty easy. That's why you ask somebody seven or eight or nine times to come to church. They're going to come seven or eight or nine times just to kind of shut you up, okay? They're going to come, but they really want to come. That's why when you say, somebody says that they're, they're an atheist, it's such a contradiction in terms, because, or an agnostic. I don't know if God exists. It's such a contradiction because God's already placed something inside of you that's above the sun. There's already a yearning, a desire for something in you 
And that's just how you're wired. God's wired everybody with eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. To do good pleases God. And we'll come to that. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all the toil. This too, I see, is the gift of God. I know that everything that God does will endure forever. That's above the sun. Anything you do under the sun may not last. But I know that everything that God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. And then in the middle of this, he gives us truths about money. So he starts off with wisdom. Then he talks about how you want an above-the-sun perspective when it comes to pleasures, because that'll wreck your life, that'll ruin your life, or that'll fulfill your life. So wisdom, pleasures, work, and he talks about wealth. And so he gives us five, uh, about five truths right now about wealth. The more you have, the more you want. Is that true? We've already had communion. Now fess up. Is that, is that true? <laughs> the more you have, the more you want. He says, whoever loves money... See, if you love money, it's a below-the-sun perspective. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. Not only the more you have, the more you want. This is just truth. He said, the more you have, the more you spend. Is that true? Uh Uh-huh. All six of you. God bless you. Rest of you. Can the ushers bring communion again? We need to redo this this morning. Um, As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? These are just truths. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. That's really true, isn't it? When you don't have anything, you don't have anything to worry about, right? When you got something, now you got something to worry about. Here's what he says. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Another truth about money So the more you have, the more you spend. The more you have, the more you worry about. The more you have, the more you can lose. Well, that's obviously true, isn't it? He says, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, okay? Or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. The more you have, the more you worry about. The more you have, the more you can lose. The more you have, the more you leave behind. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? These are just truths that he's sharing about money. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. All this is under the sun. This is what you do not want. This will make you frustrated. This will make you anxious. This will just get you all all knotted up, right? All right, so now let me get to my point. I still haven't shared it with you yet. Um, Why did Jesus not think so highly of the rich young ruler? Remember the rich young ruler comes in and says, you know, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And they have this great dialogue. And, you know, Jesus says, why do you call me good? And they go through all this. and, And Jesus, you know, basically let the guy go. And Jesus didn't think highly of the rich young ruler. On the other hand, Jesus thought so highly of the widow lady at offering time. Why did he not think, well, why did he think so highly? And here's the third question. Why in the world did Jesus commend the dishonest steward? Remember the guy who was cheating his boss? 
And the story ends with Jesus going, yeah, that guy was pretty cool. He acted shrewdly. And none of us get the story, so we close the book and think, well, that's just a parable that we're not going to understand, right? Let's read that parable for just a minute because it lends insight into where I want to go this morning. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. If you never read this story, you know that Jesus is going to, you know, get the guy in debtor's prison, right? But it doesn't happen that way. Jesus actually commends him. So he called in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? In other words, you're my CFO, you're my accountant, you're my bookkeeper, and you've been cheating. I want to know what's going on here. Give an account of your management because you can no longer manage, be my manager any longer. In other words, I'm firing you. I don't care if you're my CFO, you're done. I'm firing you. You can no longer be my manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. About that point, it's where the story starts to change, and that's where you should go, hmm, what does that mean? So he called in each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? Well, I owe him 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, well, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. The guy's going, really? Martha, go get the checkbook right now. Write him, out a, write him a check, you know. This is like too good to be true. And we're all going, this is a terrible story, Jesus. Where is this going? Then he asked the second one, how much do you owe? thousand bushels of wheat. Well, quick, take your bill and make it 800. If you've never read this story, it's shocking. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. That's where we get lost. That's where we shut the book. And it's a parable. And Jesus is talking about our one word today. Jesus is talking about our one virtue today. Jesus is talking about something above the sun that is totally mind-blowing. He commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And then here's what Jesus says. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Wow, Jesus. What are you saying? Are you saying as believers we're not very smart with how we use our money? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is saying that people in this world have figured out how to use money for leverage. And he's trying to teach us how to use resources that it opens the door for the kingdom of God. He's trying to teach us there is a way that we can help people to find Christ and find their way with the proper use of resources. Wow. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And then Jesus closes this out and he says, use worldly wealth. And some of the real religious people that you and I know get all hung up on this and just pretend this isn't in the Bible. What does it mean? He's trying to teach us that it opens doors. And we're coming to our one word in just a minute. Remember the story in Luke chapter, in Matthew chapter 6 also, but it's in Luke, but in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus said, why are you worried about your clothes? And why, why are you worried about your food? And, and why in the world are you worried about what you're going to eat? Remember that story? 
And so it kind of closes this way. And Jesus said, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? He said this, for the pagans, this is an under-the-sun perspective, run after all these things, but you have an above-the-sun perspective. The pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father, He knows. He, he knows that you need them. He, he knows. And so we come to our one word today that just opens doors. We come to this one word today that just helps the gospel to be spread. We come to this one word today that gives us an above-the-sun perspective versus an under-the-sun perspective. And it's something that everybody can do, no matter what your economics are, no matter your education, no matter your background, no matter your sex, no matter your race. It's something that everybody in the room can do. Here's our one word for today. It's the word generosity. Now, we're not taking up another offering. We're not starting a capital campaign this morning. Everybody just relax. Go, relax. This is completely different than tithing. This is not about first fruits. Tithing and first fruits go to your local church. This is a free will offering. This is not about Harborside. This is about you. It's about your sphere of influence. It's about the people in the cone of your life and how you have the opportunity to take generosity to a whole new level. Now, I can't define generosity for you. What's, generos- what's generous for you may not be generous for me or, or vice versa. Nobody can really define generosity for you. That's something that you and God have to do. Who, who's generous? Rich people? No. Poor people? No. Middle class people? No. You know who's generous? Generous people. And generous people, no matter what their economic backgrounds are, have chosen to be generous. And generosity opens amazing, incredible doors. If you make generosity your goal, money will never become your God. If you make generosity your goal, money will never become your God. So I just want to say this again. This isn't about our church. Offerings already taken up. Half of you give online anyway. Well, that's great, okay? This has got nothing to do with our church. This has everything to do with the kingdom of God and your perspective to see above the sun. And so, what does generosity do? Well, let me just make a couple suggestions here. Number one, generosity sets you free from greed. If you struggle with greed and you think about money, 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 money all day long, and that's, what, that's your world, generosity will set you free from greed. I, I can't define what generosity is for you. I have no idea what generosity means. I know what tithing is for you. That's easy. I know what first fruits are for you. It's a special inheritance or a special gift or some special bonus you weren't expecting. I, I, I get all that. But generosity sets you free from greed. And, and, and I think probably all of us in this room want to be generous. We may not quite be sure how to get there. And then there's this tension on what is generosity. What, what does it mean for me to be generous? It, it means something different. I can't define it for you. Everybody in the room has to define generosity for him or for herself. Now, I think as a church, you were incredibly generous with the Operation Christmas Child. We had 1,600 boxes that came back for Operation Christmas Child. That was amazing. That was cool. 
you took the boxes and you didn't just take them, you actually brought them back, okay? That was amazing. Because of your generosity as a church, we were able to help Beacon Street Ministries, and some of the board members are in the back this morning, and we were able to supply thousands of dollars, and we bought turkeys and hams and meat and, and fed a whole bunch of people because of, of your generosity. But generosity is something that you have to define and work through. It sets you free from greed. It makes you think about how you can use worldly wealth for Jesus. It opens doors. I'm going to share a couple stories in just a minute that have opened the door for the gospel. Makes you uh, free. Keeps you in this game a little longer. You may work a little bit longer because you want to be more generous. You may work an extra three years. You may have another income stream. You may take a part-time job just because you want to be generous. This is interesting to me. Generosity keeps you in the game a little bit longer because you want to be more generous. Generosity absolutely pleases God. Why was Jesus not impressed with the rich young ruler? And why was Jesus so stoked about the, the, the widow at, at, at offering time? It pleases your heavenly Father. And generosity opens doors for God to bless you. It's an above-the-sun perspective. A generous person will prosper. I didn't write this. Obviously, health and wealth gospel people have taken this out of context. I didn't write it. It's in the book. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Does this mean that God then will put his hand of blessing over your life and your finances? I think it does. A generous person, generosity gives you options. It gives you options to be able to help other people. And this is now a couple verses about King David. And King David is raising resources, a volunteer offering, wasn't tithing, wasn't first fruits, totally a volunteer offering for the temple. Here's what King David said. He praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. That's an above-the-sun perspective. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. That's above-the-sun perspective. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks. And we praise your glorious name. They're getting ready to raise billions of dollars to build the original temple. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? And it's an incredible thanksgiving. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. And when you recognize that everything you have comes from your heavenly Father, you're able to see things from an above-the-sun perspective. All right, and then lastly, gives you peace uh, about your stuff. Generosity gives you peace about what you do have and what you do manage and what you do own. So um, it was a couple years ago, and we were getting ready to go to Israel, and a couple from our church came to me, and they said, we'd like to sponsor a couple people going to Israel. It wasn't their tithe. It wasn't their first fruit. It had nothing to do with harvesting. It was they wanted to help some of our younger pastors be able to go to Israel. It was so cool. And what they were saying is, as the younger pastor, you didn't get to go to Israel for the first time until you're 50, but now if they can go in their late 20s and early 30s, think how great of a teacher, and they didn't say this, but they were probably hitting around. They'll teach the Bible a whole lot better than you did. That's great. It's all good. all good. And the point is, they were generous, and about three of our younger pastors got sponsored to go on an Israel trip. 
We had another person that came forward and said, I would like to sponsor somebody else. These two families don't even know each, didn't even know this. And they sponsored, and then, and then another person got so blessed to be able to go. Generosity. You just never know the impact. You never know what your gift of generosity is going to do for the kingdom of God. It was five years ago that this man and his wife were getting ready to move out of town at Christmas time. And he said to me, we're getting ready to leave. Can we have lunch with you up here at um, Anthony's, the pizza joint? I said, absolutely. So I go to Anthony's and I meet, you know, have lunch with him. And he said, we're moving and I want to give you $1,000 to give away. And I said, that's great. What, who do you, he said, I don't care. I, I don't care who you, I, I just want you to pray about it. You give it away. You make the decision. And, and that's, that's all I want you to do. This was like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And so I've got this thousand bucks, you know, in my pocket. And I'm praying about it. I'm asking God, what do you want me to do with this? And so this was like five years ago. And it was when we only had two services when life was a little bit easier back then, you know, five years ago. And so um, I always would eat breakfast early Sunday morning someplace. I had three or four different restaurants around here. I'm not going to tell you which one. But I'm there, and I'm, I'm having breakfast, and I've never seen the waitress before. And I introduced myself, and I just said, hey, it's good to see you. Love to, you know, um, ask you about your life. She said, well, I've got, a, I've got an 18-month-old. And I'm working a double shift today because I'm making ends meet, and my boyfriend, you know, he's got a job, and we're all working, and we're all trying to make it. She didn't come to Harborside. She didn't come to our church. I didn't know her. And she walked away after serving me, you know, eggs and grits and toast, you know, God's breakfast. And so I, uh, I'm asking, I'm asking, is this what you want me to do? Do you want me to give some of this or a good portion of this to this waitress? And the Holy Spirit said, yes. So I paid my six bucks or whatever it was for breakfast. It's cheap. And then I left her the largest tip I've ever left a human being in my life. And she opens that little black, you know, book that comes in, you know. And this, for, for me, I said, I just want you to know God loves you. I just want you to know God cares about you and your little boy. He cares about your future. And the tears just sprouted and just start running. And restaurant packed full of people. I stand up to leave. I mean, she gives me this full body hug. She about knocked me over, you know, in the restaurant. And I thought about that. I thought, I feel this good. It's not even my money. Okay? So I thought, I, I'm going to start trying. I've been a tither since I was 16 years old. Tithing's a no-brainer. I come out of everybody who tithes, you come out ahead. First fruits, no-brainer. Special inheritance, special offering, that's so easy. Generosity is a free will offering. Generosity is like something above and beyond, something that you want to do. It's not in the, those are in the church. These are like wherever God leads you. And so I, I'm not a very generous person five years ago. And I've really had to work at this and on this. But I started, and we started, and I cannot tell you how supernatural that feeling is 
when you know that you know that you know you've done something that God wants you to do and you're in his will and you've blessed somebody. Bless them. The feeling of giving away somebody else's money was great. But the feeling of giving away our own money, 10 times. 10 10 times that. So you see, this is what I'm trying to say this morning. Tithing is really God's gift to you. If you're not tithing, you're leaving money on the table. It's called opportunity costs. Absolutely. Because God says he will bless you. It's the only place in all of Scripture where God says, test me in this. And so this is a no-brainer. Tithing is God's gift to you, but generosity, that, that is your gift back to your Heavenly Father. And it's something that every single one of us have the opportunity to do. So if you're a very generous person, the next three suggestions make no sense. You you got this. You can check out. But if you were like me five years ago, lean in just a little bit. I'm going to ask you to try it. We have about 30 days between now and Christmas. And ask God to help you. And then look for some of those opportunities. Just, Just ask him. And what what will he do? Well, he'll lay somebody on your heart. He'll lay something on your heart. Generosity isn't about money. I had two grandmothers. One was wealthy and one was really poor. The wealthy one tithed. But the poor one was generous. Generous. It wasn't a lot. It was a little, little bit here, a little gift there. And I think God was so pleased, so pleased with her generosity. And I want God to be pleased with my generosity. I got some work to do. I'm not there yet. I'm not. But it opens doors. It opens doors. And Jesus said, use it. Use worldly wealth. It's an above-the-ground perspective. Well, the most generous person who ever lived was Jesus. While we were yet sinners, Jesus gave his life for us. So I want to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. And that's the place to start your walk with him is to give your life to him. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ... He asked you to repent. He asked, asked you to confess your sins. He asked you to give him your heart, your mind, your soul. He asked you to give your all to him. And so this morning, if you would like to give your life to Jesus, our partners down front will help you. Maybe you want some special prayer to be more generous. Maybe you've got some thoughts in mind, th- thoughts in mind, but you're not sure if they're from God or not, and you just want somebody to pray for you and to pray over you. I want to encourage you today to pray, to try it, to ask God, and to look for opportunities to be generous. You were so generous to us. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. You generously spilt your blood. You generously gave your body. You generously came down to this earth. You miraculously supernaturally spent three days in a grave. And then your heavenly Father raised you from the dead 
and you live victoriously today. We love you, Jesus. Now dismiss us to go out into this community, our families, our neighborhoods, our schools, and to practice generosity. In your name we pray.